You aren't recording already, are you? I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. We don't have to have breakfast together. Don't you see this means nothing? Your whole life is pointless. Substandard. I'm Victor Mattis, along with Jonathan V. Last and Sonny Bunch. I'd like to remind you all the Substandard is available on iTunes and Google Play. Just look under Podcasts and search for Substandard. You'll easily find us. Please subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review. We are just garnering those reviews. We're crushing it, uh, so we're very grateful. Gentlemen, uh, how was the weekend? Uh, Jonathan, how are you? I'm fine. How about you, boys? <laughs> Sonny? I didn't get to take a shower this morning because my daughter decided to kick her leg through the crib and she uh, started screaming, was like, let me out, let me out. So I, uh, I, if I smell bad here in the studio today, if you can smell it over the, the vodka fumes, uh, please uh, excuse me. Earthy. 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 I have earthy. an earthy, earthy aroma. Earthy. Is she making a break for it out of the crib yet? No, no. She just uh, was like tossing and turning and put her leg right through like no, up I to the mid-thigh. Yeah, yeah. This was not no, an no, escape-related no, injury. She doesn't. She doesn't. But is uh, she? 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 No, she's not like climbing up the crib walls yet. Okay. It's funny when that happens for the first time. Uh, I remember with my son and he just decided one day he can make a break for it. And we were downstairs in the kitchen and all of a sudden he just comes downstairs and looks at us like I just like this just happened really <laughs> and he's looking at us like that weird look like really is this happening you know it's it's a funny thing what it all I felt done? like a dream right right right, right 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 I'm very very free. strange I uh, spent my weekend mostly at the uh, the offices of the Weekly Standard I was uh, moving all of my stuff out 21 years as some listeners might know uh, I uh, Vic and I have gotten a separation we have a separation. And it's very amicable. It's very amicable. You know, we still see each other once a week. We're and still part of each other's lives. Yes. It'll never yeah. stop. <laughs> and, the uh, worst part is that you're sharing custody with me now. And yes, it's just yes, very yes. Uh, our so publicist asks that you respect at this delicate yes, time thank you. in our thank work you. marriage, respect our privacy. Uh, respect our privacy. Um, I have, After 21 years, I have uh, taken a job uh, with Sonny Budge uh, to be deputy editor of the Washington Free Beacon. That doesn't change anything for you listeners. I'm still a contributing editor here, even though they forgot to put my name on the masthead. At least I think they forgot. forgot. I gotta, quote, forgot. I got to check up with uh, Bill on that. I might have End said quote. something that insulted him. Who knows? But anyway, uh, that's it's because that. of this podcast. Yeah, probably. So long as the substandard is going on, Crystal refuses right. to I'm put you go, on the I'm not going on the masthead. So it was the first time in 21 years I was not on that masthead. Um, but I was thinking about clearing all that stuff out, you know, just what a different time that was uh, when I came here in 1996. And one of the weird things is um, I was, uh, my amount of sports ignorance, and I still have a lot of sports ignorance, but I actually did not really follow football until around the time that I started working at the Weekly Standard. Uh, we were not a football house. Uh, we were a tennis house. So, you know, uh, Davis Cup, oh, man, some great Davis Cups, you know, Volvo Masters, those things. But I got, when I started here at the Standard, 
uh, tickets from Fred Barnes for his Redskins season tickets, and he had them in that first um, uh, that that first level twelve behind. rows back. You know in what the it, end was? Zone. it was? It was like yes, exactly right. the right side of the it end was, zone. It was it was it was oh, behind yeah. the end zone, and I remember uh, I remember it. It was Redskins versus 49ers, and Jerry Rice was still playing, and somehow standing there, sitting there, it all came together about how this game works with the downs. Mm. And I just, like, all of a sudden I figured it out, and and then it made sense. And I imagine that it, it got uh, much more easy for other people getting to know the game because of the magical yellow line now. I mean, it's such so much more straightforward to explain what they have to do. But anyway, that was it. And uh, well, It's funny, too, because yeah. going to a football game now strikes me as a fate worse than death. I would rather never... Uh, uh, take another breath than have to go to FedEx Field and sit in this st- because like watching football in person is a distinctly unpleasant experience. You are a surrounded by drunks, b surrounded by jerks, uh, c sur- well just people, just too many people, uh, and uh, and c you are having to deal with constant game interruptions that are not broken up by fantastic and wonderful commercials. You know, you just sit there and you wait for the game to start again. It's just I I can't I can't stand it. I, the last time I went to a football game in person was probably, it was the last time that Favre was playing for the Packers here in, uh, and they came here to DC. I think I, I can't remember what year it was. I guess it was oh six or wow. seven. Yeah. Anyway, the the but the 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 point is, uh, it's miserable. And watching football on TV is a million times better than watching it in person. I agree, Jonathan. Did you ever take those Fred seats? Then you must have. I did. Fred. Uh, Fred is always so good to us. He yeah, gave he me. I remember the Eagle, Eagles tickets when the Ooh. Eagles came to town. And I did not wear any Eagles gear, or I just sat there and very quietly cheered for my Eagles because I didn't want to get beat up by the mean Redskins fan. I don't think the Redskins would have done anything to you. However, if you were a Redskins fan at the vet, (laughs) that's not how it is everywhere. No, no. Yeah, (laughs) this is what you again. You have to remember is that people from Philadelphia are like uniformly terrible. So you would expect to get beaten up if you were wearing a Redskins or Cowboys or Packers jersey in in Philadelphia. But I, you know, in in DC, nobody really cares. Nobody cares that much. Really, very poly. Anna-ish, as we have discussed. That's on true. The... Uh, yeah, it was. It was. I totally. I totally agree. I, I going to games now. It's a little different before you have kids because, like, oh hey, it's a Sunday. I can give up ten hours of my life to go watch a football game. Like that's a but, yeah. like yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's a full day. It's a huge time commitment, yeah. and I, I have swimming practice to take somebody yeah. to. And yeah, I think it's funny it's actually. A, this is one of the only groups of three people where all three of us are huge tennis nerds. Yeah. I think that's probably <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do a whole show on the Australian Open, and oh. literally nobody would listen. Yeah. Well, I, should, uh, I, I mean, could, I could bring him my little notepad of autographs, like Bud Collins, Zena Garrison. <laughs> oh, man. Were you, were you alone with Bud? I, was, I, wa- I would have loved to be alone with Bud. Um, when you were talking about uh, the Philly fans, uh, I do remember my uh, friend Peter Lowe had a death wish as a Dallas fan, went up to the vet, and in the middle of the game, when he was in college, unfurled the Texas flag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is a that's a death wish. What happened? Uh, somebody threw a hot dog at him and hocked the loogie uh, at the flag. Oh, he got off easy. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean that's I yeah, they were really. It's a good thing there was no uh, diesel snowballs. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, this this also explains why uh, Peter Lowe. This was back when he was the angriest man. Yeah, in America, angriest man right? in America. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but this also explains why also Fred Barnes himself gave up those uh, season tickets to the Redskins. It was too much of pain, even for him, with all the various parking. Yeah. Situation. I mean, it takes you forever to get out yeah. of that line. It takes you. It takes you forever to get there because you got to go all, all the way around the Beltway because it's in Maryland. Uh, 
it is expensive to park there. I mean, it's like forty, oh, fifty dollars, fifty bucks, to, and then you got to take park. a shuttle. Yeah, then you over, you're not yeah. even you're not even really close enough way. to walk yeah, to the stadium right. from the parking lot. Uh, and then, of course, the games themselves are insanely expensive. You know, tickets are you know 150, 200 bucks. Drinks are you know twelve dollars a beer. It's just it's miserable. Everything about it is miserable. I would rather just sit at home and watch Red Zone and get my football like crack. It's like, do you guys watch? Do you Red, watch Red no, Zone? Red Zone is an abomination. Oh, but, what you, but, but your point is taken. No, that what you want is a seventy-inch curved, four yeah. K set. Mm-hmm. And if you sit down in front of that, which can now be had for about eight hundred bucks, nine hundred bucks, like basically the cost a of a trip experience. to the football stadium, yes. almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. If, you, if you have like nice tickets, mm-hmm. yeah, it's two tickets yeah. plus parking plus, plus food is plus food. not all that yeah. much less plus food. Yeah, well, so I, I totally agree. It's better. Um, can we talk one moment about the Super Bowl? I was going to say, it's uh, coming up uh, this Sunday. Go ahead, Jonathan, please. So I uh, <clears throat> I hate the Patriots, as all people of good character do. And yet, I am a Patriots sympathizer. I wrote about this, mm. I don't know, five years ago, and I got an enormous amount of mail. Um, so... They're they're cheaters, and they win all the time, and they harbored an actual murderer yes. on the team. Yeah, and yet they're kind of awesome because when they all right, explain this, they basically hacked football. So Belichick is is something which is totally different in sport. There is nothing else like him. Do you guys know the story about Ernie Ernie Adams? Do you no, know about that? No okay, way. so there is this guy who has been following Belichick around. They've been friends since they were at Phillips together. So they went to Exeter together, and they were best friends at Phillips. And this guy has followed Belichick his entire football career. When they were in Cleveland together, Art Modell offered $10,000 to anybody who could explain what Ernie Adams does. <laughs> and nobody collected on it because nobody knows. So it's a beautiful, beautiful piece in ESPN the magazine a bunch of years ago trying to explain, like, the, unearth the mystery of Ernie Adams. And the reporter went around to all these guys, and Wes Welker and all these guys on the team, and said, hey, do you, do, you, do you know what Ernie Adams does? And they were like, who? He said, you know, Ernie Adams. Like, oh, Ernie. Jeez, is that his last name? No, I don't know. The guy's always there, but I don't know what he does. So his title is Director of Football Research. And like he is essentially the skunk works for, for Belichick. He is the guy who's... And he, he essentially acts like a deep data mining financial analyst would at a hedge fund trying to look for little bits of angles in in the entire football system. Everything from scouting to play calling to halftime adjustments that they do. Sabermetrics too or no? Everything, yes. So yes, it's all it's all about economics and math. These guys like lead it, reading books about linear mathematics and nonlinear mathematics and stuff. Anyway, he's fan. I'll put in show notes a bunch of Ernie Adams pieces that have been written. But what's perfect is that even after all, there's this whole... Uh, criminology about this guy and even then nobody really knows what he does <laughs> he's just there and the Patriots are famously compartmentalized so like the scouts aren't allowed to watch practice the people who do practices aren't allowed to know about play calling and this is why a bunch of the Patriots uh, manager and coach types when they leave they don't actually succeed and it's because there's only one guy who actually sees the entire the entire universe and that's Belichick he said there's a second guy Ernie 
So Ernie is the one who has total access to Belichick's brain and has a direct line. He even has direct line to Belichick in games. Mm -hmm. So he's got his own headset, and he's one of like the three people who can actually talk to Belichick during a game. Hmm. Uh, it's just they, so there is no analog to this. They're yeah, doing yeah. something totally different than everybody else, and so I. I can't bring myself to all the way root for them, but I sympathize with them and I enjoy watching their excellence. I uh, my my thing about the Patriots is I I can't hate them because I respect greatness, and I think anybody who who respects greatness and frankly anyone who doesn't respect greatness is terrible. Like yeah. you hating for the sake of hating is is you need a good reason to hate somebody. I hate oh a lot well of things. come on let's not get crazy. I, I hate a lot of things <laughs> and a lot you of people. you can hate people for no reason at all. Uh, Some people just respecting need respecting greatness is a key uh, foundational core belief that I have. Uh, that being said, I, I have totally checked out of football because the Packers have lost. And as, as I was telling you before the show, JBL, once my team has been eliminated from contention in the sporting uh, world that we are, whatever season we're in, so when, once the Orioles are no longer able to win the World Series, for instance, I just kind of stop caring about the sport i i i'll 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 watch the super bowl but i i am not i'm not really well, what like, do you what do, what happens then i mean is it sort of this cathartic change for you all of a sudden i just i just go start I just watching do real things. housewives yeah i just do i yeah do you watch? Well, flipper flop <laughs> flipper flip flop no i just i just start i you know read more or, uh i focus more intently on my fantasy team a lot of the times especially in baseball this is this is a big baseball already yeah baseball oh man my, my keeper league is getting ready to go i'm gonna dominate this year this is the most millennial thing in the world. Like, I, as soon as sports, as soon as sports, which is about the human condition yeah. and character, yeah. stops being about me, I don't care for it. Yeah, Thank no, you. that's I. I just I move on to better things. You know, I read. I read more. Do watch you, movies. Do you guys ascribe to any of the uh, all the uh, patriot conspiracy theories regarding the cheating? You know, not just the balls. They're but all the, true. The surveillance. No, no, they're all slippery, true. They're all true. Okay, so just wondering. I'm just wondering. I, I assume, and yeah, yet they're they, kind they of awesome because of it. Locker is, room surveillance, things like yeah. that. Okay. All yeah. right. Now, there was there was a great piece, uh, again, like four years ago. I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, too, about f uh, the statistic fumbles per play run. And so, like, the average in, in NFL team at the time was running, like, 75 offensive plays for every fumble. And the number two team was running like 123 plays for every fumble the Patriots were running 190 yeah and it's one of these things that just can't it's, yeah. it simply can't yeah. happen by accident <laughs> like, well this was what, really important the, this the theory was that this is what deflate gate was really about right that they were they had the the balls were slightly softer and therefore easier to hold on to and therefore n no I think fumbles. they were looking for guys they they were what they were focusing on with player sh scouting was they didn't care so much about yards per carry, but more about the fumble stuff. I believe this was a scouting thing, which is mm. where they were not a not a deflate gate thing. Do you, do you guys have uh, predictions for Sunday? Mm, I don't even who is so it's the Patriots <laughs> versus oh, the, the not Falcons. Packers. That's right. The Falcons. Versus the not the Packers. Right. I will tell you, I'm gonna say uh, Pats over Falcons, twenty seven fourteen. That's what I'm that's saying. far sure. too few points. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? Rack, you gotta line you go. I won't take a prediction, right. but I'll take the over. You'll take the over. Whatever the over okay, is, I'll right. take the over take on the this over game. On that, right. Yeah, I, that seems like not enough points. Uh, There's just, know. You know, big, you never know a lot of points happens. in this yeah. game. You think I, so? I don't know. Okay. It doesn't matter. Well, now, unfortunately, we also have some sad news again at this episode. Uh, more deaths to report. More deaths. And the last couple of weeks, we've lost some some legends of TV and film. Mary Tyler Moore, of course. Uh, died, but uh, as I said to study earlier, JVL, I'm going to leave it to the our elders, our elder peers at Glop Culture, to 
to talk about Mary Tyler Moore since they already spent uh, time talking about Grant Tinker. That's their world. I'm sure Rob Long was there at the time of Mary Tyler Moore, you know, and so... Um, he dated her. Yeah, oh, yes, he might have. And no, uh, um, and instead, of, I, w- I thought we could talk about uh, two actors who had died recently, Miguel Ferrer and, more recently, John Hurt. In other words, character actors. Uh, Sonny, did you have any thoughts on either? Uh, I was a big John Hurt fan. I was a big uh, Miguel Ferrer fan as well, insofar as I really, really loved him in RoboCop. It's like that is like if you are picking awful Wall Street style scumbags, I I skip I skip Wall Street, I skip all the Oliver Stone stuff. I go straight to RoboCop, which like kind of distilled that whole era into its into a perfect little ball of awfulness. Um, but John Hurt, of course, was fantastic. I, I I I when when I saw that he had died on Twitter, I immediately went downstairs and grabbed my Blu-ray of Alien. And threw it in the Blu-ray player. I was like, "This is what we're doing tonight, Beth." And Beth was like, "Fine, whatever." She's, you know, she was, she was. You've uh, really broken her spirit, haven't it, you? Well, no. I mean, usually, much I, like Kate Mattis. Usually, yes. I, uh, usually, I'm able to like more kind of organically get these uh, things agreed to. But th- yesterday, th- this weekend, I was just like, "That's what we're doing." Um, I, uh, you know, John Hurt. The thing yes. about John Hurt uh, that has always kind of jumped out at me, anyway, is that he was a very good lead actor, 1984, which is actually a very solid adaptation. One of the few, I think, movies that actually kind of holds up to the source material pretty well. Um, and The Elephant Man, of course. But we really, I mean, he spent the last 30 years doing supporting actor roles. And even in movies like say Snowpiercer, right? Snowpiercer where he's playing the the kind of crazy old man uh leading the revolution or at least providing the intellectual am- ammunition for the mo- uh movement. Um he really uh lends a very real gravitas to it. I I, I don't know how to explain it other than that. It it's you know just yeah. his 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 very presence mm-hmm. on screen, the kind of sad old eyes. I think um, even when he was young, he had the sad old eyes. Yes, it, yeah. It, like in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, just one more. The 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 um, uh, Heaven's Gate, yeah. Heaven's Gate, which is you know I think generally understood to be not a great movie. Fine, <laughs> uh, but but John Hurt, John Hurt, who is playing this kind of he's playing a traitor to his class type figure early in the film, who then. Uh, he gives a big speech about, you know, basically he gives basically a communist speech at his Harvard or Yale commencement, whichever, whichever it was. Um, and uh, then, you know, we skip ahead 10 or 20 years and he is uh, one of the landed class who is murdering all of the ranchers in in uh, uh, the, the countryside. Um, you know, he he plays this kind of wandering drunk. With such uh, spirit and yeah. sadness, and also a little bit of uh, uh, carefree, um, I don't know. I just I was no. very sad when I saw he died. JVL, did you have any thoughts on <laughs> any relation to William Hurt? I've always you wondered think, this. You know what? No I, relation. I don't know. I it's don't, like I, don't I think, think so. you and I also we can admit this now. I think uh, we both used to think, or at least I did, that uh, uh, Kath, uh, Catherine and Audrey Hepburn were sisters. <laughs> I, I think I was 27 my, year old. Yes, no, it's totally true. I told this to my wife. She laughed. I said, but how many other Hepburns do you know? How many other Hepburns in movies do you know? I don't know any Hepburns. Yeah, yeah totally. So, I, you know, what are the chances? So there, there's a function of age here, which is that with great actors, as you get older, you 
you by necessity, at least with movies, you become much more of a character actor because the lead roles, there aren't a ton of lead roles for guys over the age of 65. And so even like a guy like Michael Gambon, who's one of my favorite actors in the world, um, you know, he doesn't get a ton of huge parts just because there aren't a whole lot of parts for that. But there, so there, I was thinking about this, there are, there are like different classes of actors here that I think we are thinking. So Miguel Ferrer, I... I don't know if I would classify him as a character actor, or supporting actor, or even a bit player. And I and I worry that bit player sounds too dismissive, but it, I don't mean it that way. What I mean is a guy who could come in and give you one scene or two scenes, and in like 90 seconds of screen time with a part that could be a throwaway part if it wasn't inhabited by a great actor, but instead just like steal the movie out from underneath everybody else. And so there are, there are guys like that. And so like Paul Giamatti started out like oh, yeah. like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so Paul Giamatti, I mean, think about sort of how he looks and his body type. He was not, as a 25-year-old Paul Giamatti, was never going to be anything other than what he was. Right. But he's a great actor. He sort of grew into the body. And you know, so he's, he's in uh, that fabulous scene in My Best Friend's Wedding where he comes in with Julia Roberts in the hallway and lights her cigarette for her. Yes. I think he's on screen for literally 75 seconds. And he's fabulous. Like you can't forget him. He's so great. I think Giamatti's a great example. And then he turned and so he, you know, from that strength, he gets a little bit more work, a little bit more work. He does uh, sideways, becomes a huge star, and then he's a lead. Like all yep. of a sudden people rise. So he sort of grew into that and people then found roles for him. Right. Suddenly he's John Adams. Or suddenly yeah. he's John Adams, right? And F- Philip Seymour Hoffman is the same way. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is yeah. another guy who, by the time he died, did you guys see Most Wanted Man? Yes. That's a Great movie. Great movie. It's a great freaking movie. And he is, you, you realize all of a sudden that he was like one of our greatest character actors, except that by the time he hit middle age, he was ready to be a guy who could carry an entire production all by himself. Like 50-year-old Philip Seymour Hoffman could do things just because of his presence that even as great an actor as 30-year-old Philip Seymour Hoffman was, he just, that just wasn't built for the type of parts that could carry a whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Giamatti, I remember seeing him uh, in the Truman Show, we had recently watched it. It was on TV again, and it's fantastic. And he's in the control room, and again, as you mentioned, little tiny bit parts, but memorable. And then the other one was, of course, Saving Private Ryan, and he's uh, at that town, and and they're looking for him. And he he's the guy who actually accidentally sits on this beam that knocks down the wall and exposes all the German soldiers right. before they get uh, gunned down by Ted Danson. Ted Danson, who shows <laughs> up, which is a moment which I. That is the only moment in that movie where I was taken out of the movie. You're like a false note. Because, uh, it like, was a yeah, false yeah, note. And yeah. no, mm-hmm. He's fine. The yeah. problem isn't him. The yeah, problem is that yeah, he yeah. carries yeah. cultural yeah. Yeah. And there's, stuff and with him. That's almost like the opposite of a character actor, right? The anti-character actor. Yes. So, like, yes. for instance, like Brad Pitt in 12 Years a Slave. Brad Pitt, I think, is a wonderful actor. I think he's a very good leading man. Okay, let's I think, not get crazy. And he's, and he's... Distracting, though. He's, he's fantastic in 12 Monkeys, for instance, where he plays, like, the kind of crazy bit part. But... He is what he's Brad Pitt. He and when he shows up at the end of Twelve Years a Slave, as the Canadian who's going to rescue you know uh, Chwedel Ejiofor from uh, bondage, 
it really just destroys any sense of you are watching a movie now. It just it, it or destroys any sense of that you are not watching a movie. It's just like okay, I'm afraid you're not allowed Pitt. to criticize Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to report you to the uh, authorities. We might just have to delete the last. I really like I really liked Hidden Fences. Somebody, oh, good, oh wow! No, somebody wow. sent me it's a joke. A, it's a joke. Hidden Figures. I loved it. Somebody sent me a piece of clickbait listicle from I don't know like CBS or something this weekend that was the ranking of the the best best picture winners of the last 40 years or something and you'll never guess what was number one. Oh god was it was it 12 years slave was it boyhood <laughs> it was not no, boy you know they took 12 years to film that took 12 years you know they didn't take 12 years to film 12, <laughs> 12 years a slave but imagine how much better it would have <laughs> imagine okay. imagine but, how much better it would have been mm -hmm. if you had actually taken 12 years yeah to film twelve years of slave. Well, I mean, the, 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 the problem with the, the problem with Boyhood is uh, it took twelve years to film, but Ethan Hawke aged twenty years for the <laughs> it role. Took and twelve he, years he, to watch. He dropped fifty pounds. Uh, you want to talk about other movies, Sonny? You were just talking about where it becomes a distraction because it's the reverse of the character actor. The Thin Red Line, other than being an eh, meh movie, um, you had John Travolta distracting. Uh, at the end of the movie, George Clooney giving a talk. Yeah. It's George Clooney. It's not some guy looks like he's been, har a, you know, a, a seasoned, hardened, you know, veteran of Guadalcanal. It's just George Clooney. It's just totally distracting. But yeah, go I on. think it's slightly different also to watch it now than it may have been to watch it, uh, you know, fifteen or twenty years mm -hmm. ago. When did that come out? Was that ninety seven? It was after. It was after Saving Private Ryan. Um, but the uh, you know I, I it was funny I, I actually watched it I rewatched it recently because I was doing a piece on Malik and uh, it is funny how many actors there are young actors oh. who you you mm -hmm. you kind of uh, uh, like what's his name from uh, my so-called life and uh, J Jared Leto there we go oh. he has like a very a very major part in this movie yeah. for for I don't know thirty minutes nobody's on screen in this movie for more than about thirty minutes and Adrian and, Brody who and I Adrian believe had no Brody. lines he had Adrian lines Brody. but the final yeah. version had no lines Jim Caviezel who of course became Jesus uh, and I mean it's really it's very it's very you know wasn't the story that all these guys took scale just because they wanted because they work wanted to work Malick. with Malick right. who hadn't made a film since you know. The, uh, uh, I, I, days of Heaven, which yes. I guess was twenty years yeah, before. That's right. That's right. Um, well, go ahead, JVL. Well, I was going to say. So, what I was trying to think about what it is that unites these little bit players or character actors, the ones that we like. So, I was thinking like my my Mount Rushmore for these guys is probably like Scott Glenn, who's awesome. Yeah. I love me some Scott Glenn. He's uh, really good in Sucker Punch. <laughs> Who isn't good in Sucker Punch? Everyone's great in Sucker Punch. Uh, Fred Thompson, the late yeah. Fred Thompson, was fantastic. Yes, 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 yes. Peter Coyote, mm -hmm. really, really good. And for me, Miguel Ferrer. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, well, like, what is it that, that these guys all do? And all of them have really great voices. Mm. Yes. Like, yeah. really That's great right. voices. Uh, and, and I don't know what else there is behind. I think it's Presence. I, I, I think about Miguel Ferrer. So my favorite of his roles is his role in Traffic. Traffic, which is a... Mm -hmm. A belabored, overdone yeah. Steven Soderbergh movie, uh, and Miguel. There are a few of those, and and it features again. It's a cannonball run of great actors in it, and Miguel Ferrer steals the movie out from everybody he's in. He's in that with Michael Douglas from Don Cheadle. All these scenes with Don Cheadle, who is great. Yeah. I love Don Cheadle, and Don Cheadle basically gets pushed off the screen just by Ferrer's presence. And he has that you know these these scenes where they're sitting in the interrogation room, and he says, "Yeah, you you guys don't get it." You're like those Japanese soldiers out on the islands of the Pacific who still think it's World War II. None of this matters. Your lives don't matter. You are irrelevant. He's got this, like, coiled intensity 
in him. It's not quite. It's it's a mix of cynicism mm. and mm-hmm. anger and mm-hmm. intensity and intelligence and all of that just sort of pops through on the screen. And I think a lot of these guys have that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Giamatti mm-hmm. had that. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman certainly had. Like mm-hmm. even when yeah. he was playing dumb, when he was when Freddie, uh, what's his face in uh, Boogie Nights. No, 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 not Boogie Nights. Uh, talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's playing that. That to me is like one of the great performances ever, because he is playing dumb, but he's playing the kind of dumb bully who is stupid, but mm-hmm. canny enough to know when he himself is in danger. I was like the scene that he, on the boat yeah. when he realizes suddenly that that Ripley is who he is and what he is. Like that dawning yep. revel, like that's such good work. And and I always like to think that that character from Talented Miss Ripley was related to his character in Scent of a Woman. They were both jerks. <laughs> Freddie Miles. Yeah. Freddie, yeah. Freddie, Freddie Miles. Freddie Miles. Freddie Miles. Now, um, so what do you, what do you guys think it is? Like, what is it I that makes somebody so great? It's, I, 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 my in this very specific yeah. role, right? Because leads don't have to have that. Like Tom Cruise does not have a great voice. Yeah. 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 I don't. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of my own personal Mount Rushmore, uh, which is not a question we had posed before. I wish I had had a little more time to prepare. Uh, but it would it would definitely include Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is kind of... I think part of it is they have to be unconventionally attractive, right? Yep. They have to be not movie star... Quirky. Hot. Yes. Look. Yes. Right? They need yeah. they need to be... But they can't... They're very rarely ugly. I mean, they're not, they're not like unattractive people. They're just... Interesting faces. They're just interesting they're, they're faces. They're just they're right. just like not the sort of again Tom Cruise or even Tom Hanks or like right. they're not boyish good looks. They don't have they're the just, kind of you know. the kind of like uh, you know marquee mm-hmm. movie poster faces. But they but they do they are still attractive and and they're pros. I was thinking about Stephen Tobolowski, one of the great character actors great. of all time, yeah. uh, from Sneakers and Mississippi Burning, and of course Groundhog's Day. And he wrote a, uh, he does a podcast, by the way, called The Tobolowski Files, which you should listen to yeah. after. It's no substandard, after, but it's pretty good. We are, we're actually very closely ranked Are they ranked other. ahead of us? We are, no, he was ranked behind us a little bit, but, you know, listen to this first and then listen to The Tobolowski Files. <laughs> we should have Files. him on the show. That yeah, I bet he'll be come awesome. right on. That, well, 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 you, you Skype never him know. He's actually very good friends with Larry Miller. That doesn't surprise anybody. Oh. Our friend Larry Miller, uh, friend of the podcast, as we could say. Who also has his own podcast. Yes, of course, the Larry, Larry, Miller, show. Larry Miller Show. I'll um, put that in the show notes. Tobolowski wrote a piece in the New York Times in 2010 about character actors. And he talks about what is it about us. And he says that for most, for most of these guys and girls, um, they've resigned themselves to just being um, a character actor. For their whole career. They're not trying to. If they can, great. Tobolowski has directed a few things. But they're perfectly happy being that person. What kind of person that is, he says, is walking around and always being subject to the stare. And the stare is either people saying, I know you from some movie, or maybe you're my chiropractor. That's what he says. And uh, and, and, and how he explains it, he says, is, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, the lead actors and... And the character actors, he says, he actually borrows from Larry Miller's definition, which is the, the definition of a character actor is anyone who's not kissing Renee Zellweger, is what, <laughs> is what Larry says. And he takes it to the next level. And he says, you know, it's also almost all the characters he's played, um, they only have one name. They're, it's never a first name and a last name. He says it's like Paps or Texan or Luther the Pimp. You know, it's just like <laughs> one of those characters. And he says uh, the only difference is that the parts with no names have been somewhat abandoned uh, by the screenwriters. So it's the job of the character actor to bring substance to that role. They can't think of themselves 
as minor role. They have to think of themselves as so important, very important, in order to make, in order to make that work. And he was explaining about on um, uh, Groundhog's Day and how he met Bill Murray. And Bill Murray just said, okay, the first day he met him, he said, okay, show me what you got. And uh, Tobolowsky plays the insurance salesman, Ned Ryerson, who he had gone to school with. And he does his wacky thing. And, and Murray just stopped him and just says, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. That's funny. Okay, that'll work. And then Tobolowsky turned to Harold Ramis and says, well, do you want me maybe to tone it down, do this, do that? And Ramis says, no, no, no. Uh, Murray is the stew and you're the spice. So, you know, he holds it together and you be wacky crazy because that's what your job is yeah. as a character actor. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, which gets to another kind of idea of what a character actor is. And a lot of the time they're funny, right? Like yeah. if you if you are doing the kind of so like Paul Giamatti in private parts, for instance. Uh, uh, playing the uh, Howard Stern's awful boss. Oh right, uh, uh, pig is, vomit. Yeah, pig vomit is is very funny in that kind of angry, dark way. WNBC. Uh, uh, or you have like John C. Riley, who is a regular uh, kind of comic character actor type. You know, showing up in the the Paul Thomas Anderson movies and. Um, I think humor is a very important thing for a character actor to be able to pull off because otherwise you won't be remembered. Yeah, well, you have to have a bigger range. I mean, the commentary track for Magnolia, uh, I don't remember if it's Riley who says this or Paul Anderson who relates the story, but essentially it was Riley said, I don't, I don't believe it. I'm the romantic lead in a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, even John Hurt. You're talking about, you yeah. know, he he does a comedic turn. Oh, yeah. Of course, in Spaceballs, when he reprises his role at the very end of the movie and the alien pops out, but except this time the alien sings Hello, My Baby and does a whole dance down the diner scene. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's absurd. And sometimes you think, oh, you know, how he agreed to do this thing with Mel Brooks. And it was actually his second collaboration with Mel Brooks. It turns out um, Mel Brooks produced The Elephant Man, believe it or not. It was Brooks Films. No. Yes. And it's Brooks Films. And... Uh, but there was always, and, he, and, and again, Hurt is amazing in, in The Elephant Man, even under all that um, makeup. And Aesthetic. he's starring with Anthony Hopkins and Sir John Gielgud and Anne Bancroft. Um, and Brooks said uh, he did not want, you know, he was so, he, he kept such a low profile as a producer. And it says, you know, uh, produced by Brooks Films. The last thing he, uh, Mel Brooks said he wanted was a poster that says, Mel Brooks presents The Elephant Man, Brooks you know, because people would think that was, you yeah. know, not... You right, know, right. Serious That's movie. not the tone or you want to set. Something really yeah. offensive. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Go figure. There you go. With, uh, with I, John that's Hurt. wild. Yeah, it is. Uh, Joe Pantoliano, another one. Well, Joey, Pant Joey, your buddy, my your buddy, old Joey, Pants. Joey Pants. That's right. Um, and he's and another guy who, when he made his big break, was in Risky Business, and his name was Oh the uh, Pimp, Guido yeah. the Killer Pimp. Yeah, Guido the Killer Pimp. And he's gone on. I don't think he's ever uh, had a lead role, but he's been in a ton. Of you know, movies. he's really close to being the lead in uh, Bound. Which is the that's right. Yeah. That's brother's right. first movie. That's I right. Think, right. That's right. I, you could almost and count him that. That's right. He's and he's fantastic in yeah. it too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really, really good in that movie. Yeah. I sorry. I said course, Wachowski brothers. That's a microaggression. I meant the Wachowski geez. sisters. The Wachowski. I, I think we just at this point just go with the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis. Because okay. yeah, I don't. Right. I don't like. Sure. I don't. I wouldn't watch. Want to. It's a ch. Not I always thought it was a ch. I thought it was Wachowskis, mm -hmm. not Wachowskis. By the way, speaking of um, uh, Tobolowski's line. Uh, about everywhere you go, you get you know recognized, but people can't put their finger on it. Our friend Chris Caldwell, 
uh, at the Weekly Standard. Uh, he was, you remember the story, Jonathan? He was in London at a hotel, and he's in the lobby. He's, you know, checking in. He turns to his left, and he sees a woman sitting on this couch, and he does a double take, and he says, oh, my gosh, I know this woman, and now we've made eye contact. I got to go over and say hi, but I forget who she is. A friend, did I date her? Maybe I dated her. So he goes over to her and says, hey. And she says, hello. And he says, uh, I'm sorry. I forgot your name. Uh, I'm Chris Caldwell. And she goes, oh, not a problem. This happens to me all the time. I'm Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> it is it's, true, though. I, I remember hanging out with Larry. Larry. So Larry Miller is a friend of ours. He was in town once uh, several years ago. And so he came out, came out to the suburbs in Virginia. And my wife and I took him to like, we just went to some chain restaurant for lunch. Did you go to Chili's? Uh, it wasn't Chili's, but it was something I hope you didn't give him a quinoa well ball. I didn't even give him a quinoa ball. It might ball. as well have been Chili's. Yeah. It, it, whatever it was, it was a, literally it was a chain restaurant in a strip center okay. right by where we lived. And uh, everybody there was staring at him. And our waitress was like, oh, were you in the nutty professor? And and if this is like Larry's life. Yes. He has that level of fame That's, where he can go out to a strip center yeah. and not get mobbed, after, but after, everybody knows who after, he is. After your wedding, Jonathan, I took him, uh, we did that West Wing tour of the White House, and we were walking down uh, 17th Street, and an old man stops him and then just goes up and he goes, you were great in Law & Order, and then just laughed. And I said, <laughs> I, I said, well, I don't watch Law & Order. Larry was great in Law yeah, & Order. And I yeah. watch, and I said, two episodes. Two, two episodes, episodes playing the, the same character. character. Very rare. And I said, I said well, so what were you in Law & Order? And he goes, well... Um, I was this guy who was accused of killing his wife. However, in my defense, and then he just does his thing. You know? <laughs> he got away with it the first time, didn't he? And he then was. They, there was like a second That's where he like killed the killer. I don't remember. Larry, you know, it's funny. So Larry is another, so about funny. So Larry's a yeah. funny guy who made his life in stand-up. But he's a great screen presence, like a oh. really, really great. Oh, great. And Ten Things I Hate, he owns that movie. Yeah. So really, if you like teen, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. I am a sucker for teen like comedies. Oh, thank God. And I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's your line, Mattis. Yeah. Uh, Ten Things comedies. I Hate About You, oh, which comedies. was the Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles vehicle. And Larry just owns that movie. He's fantastic uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted because Sonny... As uh, Sonny Bunch is pouring himself a glass of now pure vermouth, just, just dry vermouth. You're, you're, you're like Roger Sterling. Vermouth? You're like Ro you're like Roger Sterling well, in Mad because, Men. Then because, all we got left is vermouth. Because well, we'll discuss, well, we'll get we'll discuss, discuss it, it in Spirit uh, of the Week. Yeah, uh, Larry Miller. Larry Miller is also he also is one of my favorite Seinfeld guest stars. Yeah. As the angry doorman, absolutely. It just, I like, I, I love. I remember I, I took Beth to go see Larry Miller stand up show, and it was very exciting. Uh, and I was just like, JVL knows that guy. They're friends. And then on top of it, he's a, he's a great writer. Oh, he's an essayist. Um, he wrote yeah. for the Weekly Stand. He wrote a, a weekly for us forever ago. He's a graduate and, of Williams. Did he write? A, I think. Did he write in a, a all chapter my books? For your, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, written, he's done a chapter in all of my books, and he. I, that guy's talent level is just off the hook. I love him. Yeah, um, big fan of Larry. Was there anybody else we'd want to talk about? Like Peter Dinklage, uh, actually. Uh, Peter uh, Dinklage is another guy who's made the transition to leading man. I think. I don't think we that's true. You don't think that's true. I don't think that. You don't I think don't the think station agent made his career I, and made I, him into a. Peter Dinklage is unfortunately one of these people who, uh, because of his physical stature, simply cannot be a leading man in any conventional sense. No, not in a conventional sense. No, but the sense that like stories that can find parts that work for yeah. him. I mean, but how many of those stories are there? Well, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, it's harder, but not, you know, truth be told, not any harder than like finding roles for 
70 year old guys i bet you're i think, I think, I think well maybe a little much harder, harder. harder i think that's, that's much harder true. that's yeah. i know who but again peter dinklage is one of these guys who was a like typecast as you know certain like oh if you need a little person you can do but once you put him in the station agent everyone's like yeah. holy crap this well, guy's he leading carry, and he, and he <laughs> was and he was a lead he was great in that he's and he's great on game of thrones and he's great on he was great in which x-men was a part of elf yeah, he it was, was in great. That, that elf that, was yeah, very the, funny. That cameo in Elf yeah. is the best. He's part, an angry elf. The best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, One of the great important things about the station agent, I, uh, Jonathan and I should point out, is uh, it's one of its lasting contributions. I like to think is to show that there's so much of the state of New Jersey that's rural, green, and gorgeous. Thank you. That's my part in New Jersey. This is where I grew you up. You know, if we ever made a biopic about Robert Reich, he could, oh, he could there play you go. Peter yeah. Dinklage. <laughs> Don't sell them short, Sonny. Come on. Uh, oh, Kieran Hines. I know you like Kieran Hines. Yes. I think oh, he's, he's a great, great. character He's great. Uh, yes. I remember he played Julius Caesar in Rome. Yes. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's the best part of the first season of Rome. Uh, can we discuss? No, the kid is the best part of first season of Rome. Also great. Yeah. Also great. That kid but, is. Yeah, he's oh, very he's good. He's great. Yeah, too bad he wasn't in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> he was in Master and Commander. Yes. So that kid is oh, did he get his arm he's amputated? His yeah. Arm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or his hand amputated. We, that kid is something. an amazing yeah, yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, whatever yeah. became of him? I don't know. Oh, That's idea. a good question. Uh, Boy, if only we had a website that tracked actors <laughs> that we could find out what happened to their careers. What's a website? Uh, the the here's here's a question I have for you, JVL or Uvic, which whichever one wants. Who are good directors? to handle character actors mm. big so you have your Paul mm. Thomas Andersons with their big ensemble casts I like to think of Michael Mann of course is great with Tom and, Sizemore uh, right gave Tom, us Tom Sizemore, Sizemore and, and uh, um, you know uh, Chris uh, what's his basically name? everyone in Miami Vice who's not Colin Farrell or yeah. Jamie Foxx yeah. uh, is like a, a recognizable I'm forgetting Kieran his name Hines. Uh, I'm forgetting his name you know uh, from uh, Spinal Tap you know he Christopher Guest Christopher Guest yeah, Christopher Guest right yeah. Yeah. ensembles yeah. Ensembles. at this point I raise a practical question are we still going to perform Stonehenge <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> to longtime listeners Stephen White for suggesting a ranking of our favorite drum roll Val Kilmer movies or favorite roles for Val Kilmer Stephen Dog Tags White. Okay. Uh, he mentions his own as Willow, Top Secret Heat, and then he kind of trails off with Spartan and the Prince of Egypt where he's the voice of Moses. But I, I can't even... I've seen the Prince of Egypt. I, I, don't, I won't count a cartoon and a voice, but uh, I'm sure you have your own thoughts about Val Kilmer movies, especially uh, Jonathan. I don't think there's anybody alive who would argue with number one, right? Number one is Tombstone. Fact. Fact. Yeah. It's just science. Uh, science. Number two for me would be Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, I've, yeah. People I've talked that. about this. I love that movie. I love Kilmer. That's like fat Val Kilmer, like fat, puffy, bloated Val Kilmer doing comedy is just awesome. And with Larry Miller also. <laughs> with Larry Miller. That's right. The circle's complete. This is, so, Larry, this is a funny story. So, Larry was telling me about having just shot his, his scenes for that and that he was. Uh, that day sitting around sort of, you know, waiting to go on and it was him and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and he and Downey, all they wanted to do was talk to Kilmer about uh, Doc Holliday and the role in Tombstone. <laughs> they just wanted to like yeah. tell us about it. Just tell us tell us all about Amir Huckleberry because it's just legendary. Um, so love him and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Really love Real Genius. I Definitely. Real Genius number three. That's near the top of my list. And then Top Gun number four. Uh, because what he does, again, he sketches out in very, in a 
very interesting way. He sketches out the broad outlines of a character who really is underwritten. The Iceman character does not have a lot of it. He's supposed to be a paint-by-numbers 80s movie villain. But instead, Kilmer makes him actually that if you think about it, he's the real hero of he's that movie. He's definitely the hero of um, that movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm, this is like this is us doing this our, is our normal stick, but stick also thing. it's true. It's 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 almost true. At least it's almost true. If it's not objectively true, it is almost true that he is mm-hmm. the guy who actually is trying to serve the country and do everything by the book and keep everybody safe. And he's great. He's not actually a dick. Yeah. No, he yeah. never leaves his wingman. He never he never leaves his wingman. He clicks his teeth. That's right. That's right. I am dangerous. Ice. <laughs> it hurts to do that. Did I, you I just try to do it. I just heard it myself. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, yeah. those would be my top four mm-hmm. or five mm-hmm. Val Kilmer mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys can feel free to no, disagree wrongly. I, no, I, I, I'd I like to throw Real Genius right up there. I think it's terrific. It's from the mid 80s, and he plays uh, this kid, Chris Knight, who is this. I don't know if you want to call it prodigy, but he's a genius working at, well, they call it Pacific Tech. Is he a real but genius? But it's like, he's a real genius, but it's Caltech. And he, the villain in this movie <laughs> is uh, played by William Atherton, who, he's again, so William Atherton, Atherton is good in yeah. everything, right? Uh, no, and yeah. I like to, yeah, King, I One of the kings of the ni- 1980s yes, uh, character total villains. Yes, wonderful jerk. And, and it turns out that the research they're doing on lasers is, in fact, related to basically the Star Wars yeah. uh, project. Um, and uh, it's it's a classic 80s movie. Do you guys realize that he did Top Gun the year after Real Genius? I'd always that's, thought there was a gap uh, between yeah, them no, because that's, he that's, seems so much younger. That's a huge jump. My favorite moment in that movie, in Real Genius, is when he is uh, he's trying to romance William Atherton's wife, and she <laughs> says to him at a party, Oh, yes! She says, can you hammer a 10-inch spike through a board with your penis? <laughs> His deadpan response to her is, not yet. <laughs> and what does she say? Something like a woman has her standards or something, something like that. The other great, That's a great, the flag. other great line is he's talking to this old guy at some party, and he turns to him and says, "Have you ever?" He's turning about this gorgeous woman at this party. He turns to the guy and says, "Have you ever seen a more perfect body than this?" And the guy says to him, "That's my daughter you're talking about." And he just goes, "Oh, so you have." <laughs> just great stuff. Uh, so real genius, Top Gun, Heat. I thought he was. Yeah, how did, you, how did you yeah. not mention Heat? B- because the, the Val Kilmer movie, Heat is certainly at the top, but as in terms of Val Kilmer mm. performances, mm-hmm. oh. I, would put that only, I would put that as like my number six slot. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'll throw one more in there Willow. Remember that was Mad George, was, that a, was that a George Lucas he di- production? He produced. I don't think he directed. Yes. That was when and they were trying to steal money from you by pretending, trying to yeah. entice you. Hey, George Lucas, Star Wars. Right, Star right, Wars. right. Please Ewoks. come to this. He walks over here. This. And they had, I probably John Williams did the score, and it was his future wife, now ex-wife Joanne Wally was in it, and the- Story by George Lucas. The short fellow. What's the term I'm looking for? You can't say careful. You can't say yeah. Um, little person. The, little person. The little person. Uh, it was not Peter Dinklage. It was the other fellow from James Horner the, from the Harry Potter. Oh, thank you, James Horner for the music. Uh, the Harry Potter movies. Uh, the uh, short. Pe- uh, I forget his name now. Anyway, uh, Warwick yeah, Davis. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, JVL Warwick Davis. So uh, I liked it. It was a good movie, and him as a sort of, you know, could he carry that role? And I, I don't think he. Uh, did after that movie? I mean, he there were not other big roles like that for him. I think. Are you talking about Warwick Davis or Val uh, Kilmer? Uh, Val Kilmer after Willow, where they thought he could be the, the next doors. Big action star. Yeah. Oh, well, this, oh so he, he did, did the, the doors. doors. Yeah, he, and the right. doors is only three years after. Lo- yeah. So his. Yeah. I would say his career. Now looking at this website that tracks the act- careers of actors. Um, 
I am shocked by how compacted it is. 1985 to 95 or six oh. or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's, the real the real it. heat, the real like death yeah. heat of Thunder the Thunderheart. Yeah. Thunderheart yeah, is in right. there. That's right. Uh, yeah. Heat, Batman from people yeah. forget Batman. Batman from oh, yeah, Doctor Moreau. That's another lead. Movie. Island of Doctor Moreau. Uh, so my my list would be very similar to you guys. Uh, Tombstone number one, Heat number two, um, uh, Spartan, which is you were laughing. I've not at seen Spartan. Spartan. I've not it, seen Spartan. It's directed by David Mamet. It's actually extremely good. It's you should you should check it out. Uh, I would say Val Kilmer again has this kind of weird career where he is almost a character actor kind of in certainly in tombstone and the doors um kind of inhabiting these roles in very method ways he's a very like there's a very good uh chuck klosterman interview piece with val kilmer that was I don't know, published a decade ago or 15 years maybe now will you get that um, for me for i'll, show, I'll, I'll find it yeah but it, basically it, it's just about how kind of crazy val kilmer is in this very methody sort of sense he like mm-hmm. inhabits the mm-hmm. oh yeah like jumping out of for people behind yeah, yeah, yeah pretending yeah, to be a spy yeah so like it's it's uh oh like when he was playing blind guy with uh, oh, yeah, blind God. guy, sorry. What was that? Oh, got with first yeah, sight. Or yeah, uh, with, with with Mira uh, Sorvino, and yeah. I heard he was unbearable. But uh, uh, she's unbearable. Uh, but uh, no, I uh, I I am a a very conventional uh, okay. Val Kilmer fan. Yeah. He's he's. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this. Yeah, he's, he's so great. And, and maybe the maybe the lesson is a lot of Val Kilmer is great. But too much Val Kilmer is too much. Yeah. Maybe he's a special sauce yeah. in the way yeah. that, like, and again, this is not a criticism. I, like, like Miguel Ferrer, I don't want a whole movie of Miguel Ferrer. But if I can have him sprinkled throughout consistently through a movie, I'm very happy because his presence is so rewarding and so rich. Uh, maybe the same thing is true about Val Kilmer. Because again, yeah, think yeah. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang he works so great because yeah. he's he's the second banana there to right. to Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, corrections, anything. Thoughts, well, Sonny's perfect. Obviously, I, got nothing. Uh, I have one correction, mm-hmm. really a clarification uh, from my wife, who says that we are crazy to have talked about twist endings and not mentioned Murder on the Orient Express. I have not seen Murder on the the original Murder, the only one, right? I, uh, am I missing There's two. one? There's a BBC production with David okay. Suchet. Oh, well, the, I like David Suchet. Yeah, I actually prefer that one. Okay, not to the and, he, and he and he plays uh, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot, yes. and okay. it's great because it's one of these things where the twist does not reduce your enjoyment of it on subsequent viewings. It clarifies everything, uh, mm-hmm. because as you're the problem with it as you're watching the movie isn't that you think he couldn't have done it, mm-hmm. he couldn't have done it, is that you you think to yourself, oh, God, they all could have. And then only at the end when you mm-hmm. realize, well, mm-hmm. they did all do mm-hmm. it, that it, it'll finally make sense. The tumblers all fall. Speaking off. of which, that's another great character actor, David Suchet, and I'll give you two movies that I really loved him in. One is Falcon and the Snowman, and he plays the KGB handler. Yes. He's terrific. And um, Executive Decision. I think he was, uh, you know, because of his complexion, he plays these type of characters that are either from, you know, from Eastern Europe or from the Middle East, and so he sort of blends in. That. He takes over these characters. And in Executive Decision, I think he's a terrorist. He's he's really there was a Jason. Statham. Did I say that by the way? Was that okay? Complexion was that right? I was uh, questionable. Uh, I was gonna let you go. I, like if if you uh, did you guys see the bank job? It's pretty good. David Statham movie and David Suchet oh. is in it playing a heavy, 
And so he's oh. a gangster who like has guys. Uh, I think he's, he, they use a sandblaster to like take torture mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. by taking their feet off and David <laughs> Suchet's there. And you're like, okay. but that's Poirot. Why yeah, is Hercule he Poirot do that? doing right. no, that? No, no. He, little, the little gray cells. <laughs> he, play, he plays great villains. He plays great villains. Uh, uh, so that's my correction. And I have a comment from uh, a recent iTunes review from K underscore percent. Uh, he, she, it gave us five stars, but then in the comment says, really, I shouldn't be encouraging you, any of you. Ah, and fair. True. True. fair. I, I have one comment um, regarding wrestling, and for people who don't get it, uh, my brother-in-law, Bill Dwyer, says what people have to understand about wrestling is that these are, quote, mythopoetic tales for the modern man. There you go. Did he, wrestling isn't did wrestling. He, did he rip that off of Max Landis? He, he took that from his buddy Mario. Maybe he took it from Max Landis. <laughs> okay, buddy. his buddy Mario. Some guy, hey. some guy on Facebook oh. named Mario. Hey. Uh, okay. Did you guys hear about this? Spirit of the Week. Spirit of the Week. This is a, a good one because I get to talk about myself. Um, our Spirit of the Week is actually a vodka, and we had vodka martinis here in the studio, uh, and Sunday Brunch, bunch, uh, Sunday Brunch, sorry. Sunday Brunch. Uh, brought his uh, shaker. And it's district-made vodka from 1-8 Distilling. The kind people at 1-8 Distilling actually provided the spirits to my vodka talk last week at the Smithsonian. So special thanks to Alex Laufer for providing the drinks at the Smithsonian and this a little hip flask-sized district-made vodka for the show. It's distilled from rye, malted rye, a little bit of corn. Has a lovely spice. Please, uh, if you have anything bigger than a hip flask, we take that too. Thank you. Oh, uh, Jonathan has a spirit of the beer of the week. This is very exciting. I this brought is a, a beer first. and I wanted to drink with you guys. Uh, I brought a, a little from a microbrew in Nellie's Ford, Virginia. It's called Blonde Honey. It's a Belgian-style blonde air, and it tastes like happiness. I don't understand how you guys can put that stuff into your mouths. Okay, you now we're not getting like the free this. bottle. Thank you. Now we're going to... You always do this. <laughs> now, martinis are not as bad as... It's the brown liquors. I don't... I just think... Yeah. Uh, now, martinis are fine. There's nothing wrong with martinis. <laughs> you know, we were just about to sign a deal with Diageo, too. Oh, we were so close. Um, okay, that's all the time you're getting from us this week uh, for the episode. Uh, and questions, comments, complaints, compliments... Challenges, suggestions, tweet us at Victory and Amatis at Sunny Bunch. Again, be sure to subscribe at to JB us. Last. No. Make sure to tweet at, at Jonathan. No. Again, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. Just type in substandard on the podcast. We're there. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Until next time. <laughs>so you know what you were talking about uh, Alien you watched Alien the other day for, yeah. for John Hurt and I remember the first time I saw that on HBO it was a Mattis family special you were four yeah I don't know <laughs> I may be eight or nine it was in <laughs> out, we all went to my parents bedroom and got on the bed everyone let's watch this movie Alien together <laughs> and this thing happens and I remember the alien sucking his face for, I mean this is vivid and then I remember the popping out scene because he thought he was better because and that well they tried to I remember this vividly they tried to cut the alien and it turns out the blood was acid right. and it goes through all several, the way through the decks all the, the way through and I'm thinking to myself this is this is this bad this is bad because if that's that's just a little hint of what's to come and I was always sort of unclear about the host versus the other alien baby you know how this, it works which is which. Um, and, and then a first, first a mommy and a daddy alien love each other very much. <laughs> okay, and then, yeah. and then the other one. But the other one doesn't have to do with the, I mean, it doesn't look the same as the thing that sucks his face, obviously.
right? No, those are yeah. The, Isn't that weird? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I have don't. to. I have I to understand why. why there's, it's like there's two different alien shapes. No, one is the one that sucks the face and in, implants <laughs> it, and then the other one is yeah, giant they're, alien. They're different. They're totally different creatures. Sporogenesis. Just think of it that way. Got it. And then he pops out of uh, uh, John Hurt's stomach, and they, you know, they said they actually. Um, Ridley Scott put extra blood to explode, so the other actress, not Sigourney Weaver, the other actress, her scream uh, is genuine because she had yeah. no idea, and it got her on the face, so it was just really kind of terrifying. But I remember that, and not once did my parents say, oh, don't look. <laughs> so you did know. you guys know what it was about? I don't know. No, you know, not me. I said, oh, here's a new movie we can watch. It's on HBO, which, you know, is the big <laughs> thing to have. And my parents like, hey, HBO, all the good movies are there. And, 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 and I remember Tom Skerritt's ending because he's in that tunnel shaft, and, it, and then they think that it's behind him, but it's actually one level below. So he goes down and he turns and he gets attacked by this thing. That's what I remember. However, if, if, if Tom Skerritt and Sigourney Weaver were going to kiss, my parents would say, oh, don't look. They How did you sleep that. that night? Did you and Christine, Stop were you fine. like, suck no, like babies? No, no, I had no problems. Had no no, problems. We, do you guys do this? Well, you don't, obviously. Do you, and Katie isn't old enough to, to actually watch things. But like we obsess over, oh, is it okay to, for the kids to watch? Is it to this or to that? And your parents are just like, hey, here's Faces of Death, Vic. I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, my dad rented a movie once called Japanese Connection. It was like a rape scene. And he's like, well, maybe you shouldn't see this part as the guy's going maybe. to town. The guy's going to town. You know, I was like, uh, okay, I'll see this later. Okay. We overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So was there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, we, Wrestling. We've been talking a long time. Yeah, so. this, was a, this was a good one. Was this a long episode? No, it's, yeah. what do you think, JBL? <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. <laughs>